I've been a, I think I've been a Christian now for, um, depends if you take it from when I was eight years old or 18, when I really committed my life to Jesus. And I think, if I was honest, I'm only just learning what it means to worship God in this kind of context. So thank you to John and the band for, for tonight. It's difficult <laughs> as, a, as a pastor, aware of everything else that's going on around you, to, to sit and to worship God. And I had this beautiful image this evening as I was worshiping and trying so hard to focus on him that it can sometimes feel so lonely when you stand up here. You have all your beaming eyes. Sometimes they're concentrating. Sometimes they're fading into mid-existence thinking about X Factor, which I know you all love. As strictly someone shouting out. And actually, I had this image of Jesus walking up with me, arms around me, and supporting me as I speak to you tonight. And I'm not saying that to, to validate or make everything I say profound and wise by any means. I will certainly do away with that. But that hopefully, tonight, we can experience something of what God wants to say to us through his word. And surely that's the reason to be excited. Amen? Cool. And you're responding. So we're on for a good one. So tonight we're um, kind of coming to the end of Luke's gospel that we've been exploring as part of the investigation series. And the title for tonight's message is The Body of Proof. Intrigued? Nice. So I'll tell you a story. Um, recently, I've been doing a couple of um, asylum tribunals in Newport in Wales. And the most recent one was a woman called Cobra, an Iranian woman from this congregation. And we're sitting, uh, waiting for the court to start. And I want to kind of paint the picture of what happens in this moment. We're sitting there nervously. I've got in the back of my mind a kind of American court or a big British court. You walk in, everyone's wearing these weird wigs. You've got the witness bench. You've got the, tri- you kind of the area where the um, jury sits. You've got the judge in this finely seated palace that he sits up in, right? That's what I was expecting in my mind. It's a very different situation. Cobra gets taken off and is, is quizzed um, for a period of time. Then the first witness, Farah, her, um, her partner, is called up again for questioning. And then it comes to me. I walk nervously in, but this is my second time, so I have a bit more confidence this time. I'm walking into the room, and you stare originally at this kind of judge's bench at the back. It's got an emblem on the front of it. The judge sits proudly behind it. That's the kind of most domineering feature in the room. In front of it to the left is the home office. Now, they're probably good people, but in this situation, they're the baddies. To the right, you have the barrister who's defending Cobra's case, and I sit in a table in between the two and give my, my evidence. The barrister will then fire a bunch of questions at me, uh, kind of quizzing me, asking me about my testimony, who Cobra is, whether I believe she's a Christian. And last time I was cross-examined horrifically, but on this particular occasion, there was no cross-examining from the home office, but in fact, the barrister was on point. And he asked me all these questions, and then the judge says, all right, time for you both to present your cases. The home office goes first. She, you can clearly see as she's beginning to present her evidence that she doesn't really believe in her argument and she's more than anything just following the duty of what she's there for. And she pre- presents it really quickly, not taking into account the translator who's trying to translate what she's saying for Cobra, but then comes our barrister who presents the evidence beautifully. He makes very clear what he wants to say and presents this case that I wanted to literally, it took everything in me not to stand up and go, yes, dude, you nailed it. I thought that would be inappropriate in a court in- setting. I didn't do that, fortunately, otherwise I'd have been chucked out. The judge was, was really gracious, went away and kind of sat on it for two weeks and then gave us the result. Cobra got a letter the other day saying her asylum had been accepted and she is welcomed here into the UK. Give you a round of applause for that. 
So the reason I say that story at the start is as we've been exploring Luke's gospel, you know it's Luke kind of talking to a guy called Theophilus or presenting his evidence for the Jesus case to Theophilus. He's a very logical, systematic guy, and he's presenting piece by piece the story that he's collated together from different witnesses for Theophilus to then look at this and come to his conclusions. If you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And you've had these verses read, but let's remind ourselves of what it says. Many have undertaken to draw, this is Luke writing to this guy, Theophilus, or it could be a community, we're not sure. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is presenting this case. He's presenting piece by piece evidence for the Jesus case, why he is who he said he is and why he did what he said he did. And tonight as we come to the story of the resurrection, the crux of the Christian faith, if we forget everything else, this resurrection has to happen or everything we believe doesn't make sense or isn't true, right? Would you agree with me? The resurrection is the key to the Christian faith. So tonight you are going to be the judges. I am going to be the barrister and I'm going to be presenting evidence for the Jesus case. Now, the way I I thought I could originally do this was we could read through the stories and I could talk about the evidence, but I don't want to get those glazed eyes. And I think one of the things I've been looking at recently is um, a video called The Luma Project. Has anyone heard of that? Luma Project, Benita? (laughs) No? Um, Luma Project is basically a a, a bunch of scholars and architects and various other people have come together to try and tell the gospel story in a way that's really historically accurate. Um, So, for example, Jesus is actually a Jewish man. Woo! He's not white in English. (laughs) And and all the characters and and, and the dress and the placing is as accurate as it possibly can be. And then the Bible is read over the top of it to kind of create this really authentic feel. So I'm going to present the piece of evidence by showing you clips from this video. Now, I want to thank, and can we give a round of applause at the start? To No, because it might not work yet. Oh, okay. So if it works first time, you're getting a round of applause, my man. Team Needham, I presented an impossible task with the DVD we've got. So hopefully, God willing, you will see a miracle this evening. So my argument to you, the judges, tonight is very simple. The body of proof proves that Jesus' body is proof that he rose from the dead. We could have that slide up. Oh, sorry, he's battling between the two things. Is that all right? Sorry, mate. I'm going to stand here in silence. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Needham. I hope you appreciate the wordplay there as well. The body of proof proves that Jesus' body is proof that he rose from the dead. This is my argument. My first piece of evidence is the evidence of the three women. But they did not believe the women 
because their words seem to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that What do you think? It's quite a cool way of capturing the story, isn't it? So the first piece of evidence is from the free women. And an interesting point I want to point out with this is that skeptics will often say, but it's not authentic. The story is not authentic. In fact, the followers of Jesus, once he had died, they wanted to say, no, he did rise again from the dead. So what did they do? They edited the text and they made this story up about Jesus rising from the dead. The issue with this is, is, is twofold. The first is that if you wanted to substantiate a claim that a man rose from the dead, the people that you see as your first witnesses wouldn't be women. That's just uh, the, the nature of the culture of the time. Women were considered second-class citizens. A man's word was far more valid than that of a woman. So if you're wanting to validate a claim that a man arose from the dead, you don't use three women witnesses to validate that claim. It shows something of the authenticity of the story that we're dealing with. And the second is that if you're wanting to tell a story and make up this religion that this man rose from the dead, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't then say you and all your friends were the ones that doubted Jesus rose from the dead, and all the disciples are seen to be doubting. They don't believe what's going on. They don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. If I was making my own religion, you'd be like the superhero. You'd have got that Jesus had risen from the dead even before he'd risen from the dead, right? But yet here we have all the disciples completely in doubt and unbelieving that Jesus had risen from the dead. There's something about the authenticity of these stories historically that should capture you and answer the questions of skeptics. Timothy Needham, my second piece of evidence, evidence of Cleopas and his friend, go. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, 
how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned it. I love that story. And there's something about it. I was reflecting on the words of this text this week and the story itself. So Cleopas and his friend have walked seven miles from Jerusalem, being with the disciples, to this random town. They've been joined by Jesus. He's been opening up the scriptures to them. That's seven miles. That's a long old walk, right, by, by any means. They get to this place. They have the meal. His eyes are open. They see it's Jesus. Jesus disappears. And then they go from the place they've just walked seven miles to get to in the evening, running all the way back to the disciples in Jerusalem to tell them the news. Can you imagine that seven-mile journey back? What must have been frustrating in sandals, dust between your toes, walking across desert, not very much food, but then you've heard Jesus alive. I mean, he was dead, right? But, but now Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. All that stuff he said about being a Messiah, this great prophet about being a son of God has come true. And in fact, the hope that they wanted to believe in but couldn't because their rational mind said people do not rise from the dead has suddenly been realized in that moment in which Jesus shared bread with them and they realized who he was. Can you imagine that conversation? Dude, 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 he's alive. It's so good. Jesus is alive. Like literally, what are we going to say? I mean, how are we going to tell disciples? They might not believe us, but he's alive. He's really, he's really, really, really alive. I mean, I speak quickly, but I can imagine that seven-mile journey back to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. Must have been insane paces of speech. Even Ben from Canada could not understand him. Ben can't understand when I speak normally and clearly. That's just to make that clear. My third piece of evidence then, once they get to disciples, they spend time with the three women who've come back and the disciples themselves, they get this incredible treat as Jesus visits them himself. My third evidence is the evidence of the disciples. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So can you imagine what that must have been like? You're standing in the room. Again, your friend, someone you loved, who you thought was the hope of the world, has, has suddenly died. You've watched that murder. You've seen it take place. You saw the nails placed through his hands and his feet. You heard that he was buried in, in a tomb in which there was a massive stone in front, two guards placed in front. Every single part of your brain says, people do not rise from the dead. You've heard witnesses from three women. You doubt it. You've heard the witnesses of Cleopas and his friend, but still, again, you doubt it. And then suddenly you're standing around with your friends, discussing all you've heard, saddened by everything you've heard, and Jesus appears. And he appears, and instantly he begins to address their doubts. He says, you doubt that I'm real, doubt this is me. Look at my hands. Feel 
where the nails were placed. Touch me. See, I am real. This is my body. I am not fake. And then suddenly you start asking questions. Well, if this is Jesus, then it must just be a ghost. It must just be some kind of embodied spirit. It's not Jesus' body really standing before us. In no way it can be him. And in that moment, he does what I thought was the strangest part of that text. If you read it, he kind of shows them his, his hands, and then they're all confused and bewildered. And he goes, guys, I'm starving. Can you get me some food? And I always remember thinking, it's such a random thing to put in that moment. Why would Jesus ask for food? Surely he would answer their questions first. But actually, how does he begin to answer their questions? He's not a ghost. If you've seen Casper, you know that if you eat food as a spirit or as a ghost, it falls through, right? Ghosts can't eat. And Jesus eats fish in front of them. Suddenly what is a really weird thing begins to make sense. This is part of his evidence. Feel me, touch me, see. I eat. I am in front of you. That is my third piece of evidence. And the final piece of evidence for you, the judges, this evening is from the Old Testament, the evidence of the Old Testament. Throughout all these stories, the stories on Emmaus, when he's with his disciples, what does Jesus constantly do for them? He shows how he is a fulfillment of everything the Old Testament has said. He is a fulfillment of the prophecies, of the purpose of what was been building up God's very salvation plan from the beginning. He shows how this was the purposes and plans of God, that Jesus would be the savior of the world. And he shows that through the Old Testament, equipping the disciples as they go on their way. So judges, here's my evidence. It's fourfold. I have the evidence of the three women. They came to a tomb that was open. The angel said that Jesus had risen again. I want to present to you the evidence of Cleopas and his friend walking across the road, having met with Jesus and knowing it was him for the first time. His body was there. I want to present to you the evidence of disciples having turned up and experienced touching Jesus' hands where his nails went and seeing him eat eat fish, proving he was not a ghost. And I want to present you the evidence of the Old Testament, that all of it leads to Jesus. The question is, do you buy the argument? The body of proof proves that Jesus' body is proof that he rose from the dead. You've heard the evidence. You've heard the body of proof. I have two questions for you. Did Jesus rise? And if so, so what? Because it's very easy, isn't it? to turn cognitively in our brain and go, all right, I'll accept it, Jesus, you rose from the dead. But I was chatting to Alice this week about the sermon and and this this theme, and and she said, surely then if, if Jesus really, really did rise from the dead, then we would live differently. Ultimately, the things that we're fearful of and are holding us back wouldn't have the same power. So the question I'm asking you tonight is, did Jesus really rise from the dead because if he is surely we would live differently as a consequence surely things that we thought originally scary would not have the same kind of power of us because we know that the same power that raised jesus from the dead dwells within every single one of us surely when we're facing situations out at work or at university or at the leisure center wherever we may be this week we know we have the resurrection power of jesus living within us because if that is what actually happened if a man who claimed he was the messiah the savior of the world no god himself died and then rose from the dead, thus validating everything he previously said. And the Jesus that we worship was who he said he is, and everything changes. That is the ultimate game changer. Our lives cannot be the same, should not be the same, because we enter an adventure with the living God who rose again for us, that death, even death, loses its power and victory over us. So my question to you is, did Jesus rise? And if so, so what?
Let's pray. Jesus, I want to pray that this week that question will be going over all of our minds that will be asking, what are we doing as a consequence of, of knowing and believing and experiencing your resurrection power in our lives? I want to pray in moments of fear this week when everything seems um, completely unattainable, you will remind us that you are with us, the God who rose from the dead. I want to pray that we'll stop seeing our lives as, as just a, a day to get by till we get to enjoy ourselves and in fact see them as an adventure in the good and the bad for you, that we enter with you. And Jesus, I want to pray as we sing now and as we worship you and as we come before you in worship, you will teach us how to worship. You will inspire us in this time of worship and you will send us out as resurrection people excited about the truths that we hold as Christians because we don't just believe because we've been told to believe at church, but we believe because there is a tangible difference in who we are and we believe because we know that one day you will return and the face of this earth will be different. There'll be no more crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away and we will rest in your presence for eternity, joining the God that we love. Send us out, Jesus, as resurrection people. Send us out as people passionate about your resurrection. Send us out as hopeful, faith-filled people who are willing to go um, over the cliffs to follow you because we trust that you will keep us up. In your name, Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. Amen.